This podcast is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton. You're listening to Dollars and Change on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School, Sirius XM 111. Welcome back. This is Catherine Klein. And I'm Sandy Hunt. And this is Dollars and Change. In this segment, we're going to be talking with Bill Golderer, uh, who's just a fabulous leader in Philadelphia, a, a force of nature who's been working to uh, alleviate po- poverty, work with uh, folks who are living in homeless uh, situations, feed people who have a hard time getting food. And he's now the CEO of United Way of Greater Philadelphia and Southern New Jersey. But just before we welcome Bill, uh, a reminder that we are at one eight four four Wharton. That's one eight four four nine four two seven eight six six. We are always happy to have your calls, and we're especially happy to have your calls in about half an hour when we're in our Mm -hmm. last half hour of the show when we're going to be opening up the phones, talking about the guests who've been with us, fielding your questions, fielding your comments. So, uh, you know, get ready. And uh, for questions and comments now or later. And with that, welcome to the, uh, the program, Bill. Great to have you with us. Hey, Catherine. It's uh, nice to talk to you again, and thank you for having me. That's great. And uh, Bill, Bill, as I said, is a is a dear friend of Wharton's, uh, a friend, uh, a friend, and occasional lecturer who was recently in my class talking about the work that you've done with Broad Street Ministry and now with United Way. But I think in this call, let's let's focus on you've you've recently become the CEO of United Way of Greater Philadelphia. Uh, so you're working with a very large, old, uh, established organization. This is quite different than what you did for many years of your career, first uh, you know, as a, pa- a pastor and then as the founder of Broad Street Ministry, focused on you know, a, a, a nonprofit entity that you were growing. Uh, now you've joined – this is not your startup. <laughs> this is not your startup. If it is, we want to know your secrets, yes. your anti-aging secrets. Yeah, so tell us uh, tell us about the move you've made to United Way. So, again, thank you uh, both for having me. I think um, some things happened uh, for me personally that were really um, powerful, which was, you know, I come from a background, I think, of the kind of at the at the intersection of maybe the most overused word ever, right? Social entrepreneurship, where that meets kind of an intractable social problem, but also sort of a spiritual outlook on all of this. Like what, what is it that's being asked of us when we mm. talk about confronting these, these, these problems? And for me, you know, I've always tried to live there. And I will tell you, no one is more surprised than me than to be leading uh, the next chapter of the United Way of Greater Philadelphia and South Jersey. That's a mouthful. Um, but some things happened for in my own realization before I could say yes to something like this, which was, you know, for, for the years that I spent working with folks who were struggling with hunger and homelessness and hopelessness, I really felt like I was in a reactive or responsive posture mm-hmm. in relationship mm-hmm. to this problem. Mm-hmm. Right. The problems and existed and you're trying to, to treat them. You're trying to do the best you can with some structures that you inherited that were really disappointing. And as much progress as you make, the line, if you will, as a metaphor, 
um, was always getting longer, it seemed. And so I was starting to long for a way to more meaningfully engage with the private sector to see if there were strategic interventions that we could make together that might might shorten the line that I'd been serving. So that was my own hope. And then I kind of came across uh, the United Way in a very fun and fortuitous way where they recognized that who they were and the, the, their, if you will, business model and their impact was not what they were hoping it would be. Mm. And, and, and they really convinced me in small and large ways that they were tired of, in some ways, being a community chest uh, that was a, a mile wide and an in, inch deep in its impact, working really to, frankly, please all comers and to move instead into a, embracing an appetite for measurement of what where these dollars are going and all the way down to making a decision to unload things that that they thought were important or essential but really weren't including we we've just about to announce the the sale of our our headquarters our real estate footprint because we were really asking are we a you know are we a place or are we more of a movement and and that's that's where we're heading we're trying to head. Yeah, fascinating. We're talking with Bill Golder, the CEO, the new CEO of United Way of Greater Philadelphia and Southern New Jersey. Let me just provide one, uh, get you to provide some context for this discussion, Bill. Uh, and then I know Sandy's looking at me like, let me ask some questions. <laughs> Everyone uh, on our team gets to work with Bill so much more than I do. So I love the all questions. right, fine. <laughs> you can ask Bill questions, but I get to ask this one question. Bill, uh, Bill, can you provide some context for our listeners to uh, to learn a little bit more about Philadelphia? You know, you've talked about the need in Philadelphia, the line, literally, the you know, and, and I think literally the line that used to form, uh, at least for Broad Street Ministry, for people showing up to uh, you know to get to get uh, meals at, at where you uh, worked with Broad Street Ministry. So what is the need and the problem in Philadelphia? How is Philadelphia distinctive among you know, the, the, the largest cities in the United States? Why, why this focus on poverty in Philly? Well, there's, I appreciate the question. And, and this really started coming into view for me when you, when you take a step back, right? You're dealing with the problems that are in front of you every day. But for those of your listeners who might be you know, thinking about this, it really was a gift that the board of directors of the entities I was serving invited me to take a step back and do some analysis that's not unique to me, but hard, some of it's harder to find, right? So the first part that's easy to find, and most people know who live in the region, that uh, just to take Philadelphia as, a, as an example, we have um, the highest poverty rate of any uh, large city, of the top 10 cities in the United States by population, we have the highest concentration of people living below the poverty line, which is 26.2%, which is a staggering statistic. And then when you dig in deeper, there's this idea of deep poverty, which is uh, twice, you know, more than twice uh, the poverty level. So, you know, $13,000 a year. Um, for a family, for a, for a family. For, of of uh, for a family of four, yeah, thirteen thousand um, dollars for a family of four. That uh, I mean, you just you just can't believe it, right? Yeah. So, so there's that number. But here's the one that I found that I think um, folks who would turn into dollars and cents might find even more interesting because it's not just the scale of poverty; it's how the line isn't moving. 
Um, mm-hmm. In fact, it's for in our place, it's going backward. And this took a little bit of digging. So here's the statistic if you can follow it. So it's I would put in as a point in time, 2011 mm-hmm. to, to now as a point where many people would say we began something of an economic recovery. Sure. And you can you can see that. Um, statistically, and we we looked at well, we me when I was looking at this opportunity, I said, look, you know, the top four fifths of um, our economy, right? So if you broke the participants in the workforce uh, into quadrants of five, uh, you would see that what's really exciting is our top fifth, right? The the top fifth quintile, the second fifth, the third fifth, and the fourth fifth. These all mirror our benchmark cities in, in terms of economic growth, real percentage of income growth. Uh, and in fact, our top two quintiles compare favorably with cities that we have some envy toward, New York and Boston, where actually we exceed them um, in, in the, at least the top quintile. So you're like, oh, Philadelphia is really competitive. But when you look at the bottom quintile, not most other of the benchmark cities that I studied, which is Chicago, um, Philadelphia, sorry, Chicago, New York, Boston, even Baltimore, the worst performing city of the bottom quintile experienced about 6% income growth, which isn't tremendous. But between 2011 and now, Philadelphia not only didn't experience that kind of growth, but we went backward 9%. Mm. There, there is something pathological in our systems that is making us not only kind of the moral clarion call to, you know, what is it we're doing and why is this happening and this is wrong, but it's also making us not competitive as a region. And we need an intervention or a series of interventions that is going to them this tide because yeah. it's not sustainable well it is Sorry, it, that's very long-winded and yeah long. no, but, no they, but it's the pa- gap is wide it's very powerful and you know i just think about like whoa philadelphia the city of brotherly love where the poor are getting you know where the economy is growing but the poor are getting poorer you know it's, that's hard yeah so so bill i want to paint a picture for our listeners who don't know you which it's hard to believe if you're a philadelphian i'm just assuming you know bill but um for those outside the region a little bit of your history. You founded Broad Street Ministry, which was a really cross-sector um, homeless services organization. You also co-founded Rooster Soup Company, which is the nation's first for-profit crowd-funded social impact restaurant that creates jobs and returns revenue to citizens in need. So you are you know, as entrepreneurial as they come. And I think mine was not the only like jaw to hit the ground to see the news of you joining United Way, which is this just very, you know, how old? 100, 100 plus it's years about old? about to turn 100, if uh, you can believe 100, it. 100, 100-year-old organization. So really cool. I mean, it's always fun to see these these big shifts. And I want to know, what are the most, what are the, you know, the most important lessons or sort of the biggest um, cultural or organizational characteristics you think you need to be bringing from your entrepreneurial world into the United Way? It's a great question. I've been uh, losing a lot of sleep thinking about it. <laughs> this has been, you know, all of... You probably weeks. have this ready um, from your interview. <laughs> Sounds yeah, like an interview it, question. It really, I mean, it really has to... When, when My instinct when I was you know, shifting my focus and really wanting to see if meaningful partnerships could be forged um, 
with the private sector. And if you look historically, and I don't want to go off on another wonky tangent, but when you look at major social reforms in the in North America, almost all have been driven and led by the private sector. It's just true. And I can give you instance after instance. And so the United Way's uh, foundational principle was this is the the epicenter of where the private sector wants to make a meaningful contribution to where people work and live to make it a better place, right? And somehow along the way, it I feel like um, its form, its way of doing business, its way of carrying out its mission <laughs> became really fossilized. Like people know it, and frankly, not a lot of people uh, value the way uh, they they do business, which can be kind of heavy-handed with these workplace campaigns. And and so for me, how do you harness this private sector desire to, to lift the region, right? So it's not only – it doesn't only feel good, it's good business to not have this kind of disparity. Yep. It's just not smart. But so and, – and when I started thinking about doing – this on my own, if you will, set up a competitor to the United Way, one of the people pulled me aside and said, you know, we're already in 400 companies in the region. How long do you think it would take you to get entree into this many workplaces to raise consciousness about the scale and scope of the problem? And maybe if you do it right, mobilize this these employers in a direction of saying, these are interventions that we know work. They need to be better capitalized. And maybe, you know, if you can really kind of use that much kind of sway, then the policy flows, policy reform flows from a private sector that's motivated, inspired, and determined to make it different. Now, that's that's on day, you know, week three. We'll see if I can do this with the help of others. <laughs> if, right? any, if, right? if anyone can do this and mobilize this, I, it, it's uh, it, it's you, Bill. So, uh, and, and I'm sure it's a it's a big team effort. Um, let me ask. Uh, let me have you confirm one piece of the United Way story because I think I kind of knew this, but if I'm typical of listeners, they might have kind of known this, but not fully. And that is that United. So folks give to the United Way, and then the United Way is is uh, is giving. You know, is then funding other organizations. The people who are your donor base who are giving to the United Way, and again, it's kind of interesting. It's another pass through model. Um, in in some ways, mm-hmm. um, but the people who are giving to the United Way are um, are the majority of the gifts you're getting through these company partnerships. So you know, University of Pennsylvania, Sirius XM, uh, you know, what local businesses. These these businesses are saying to their employees, "Hey, we have an annual giving campaign. Give, you know, as as members of blank." Serious XM, sure. Give to the United Way. Is that is that, that the part main part of your payroll deduction? Yeah, yeah. is, is this is this right. the main way people give to the United Way? It's interesting. I mean, so that's where people um, know us from. I see. And and right now, and this is not um, breaking news. That model, you know, that's sort of the like, hey, you know, we hear from you once a year, and you think about this once a year, and. That that is, I mean, statistically, I'm not breaking news. That is not how philanthropy works anymore. That's mm-hmm. not how people uh, do this anymore. And so, like, 
one thing that people always ask me is, you know, I can just press a button now and give to whatever I care about. Why do I need this kind of lumbering third-party service when I can just do it direct? And that's, of course, you know, something that, that still happens. People use their payroll deduction to kind of designate where they want their gifts to go, and we're still in that business. But we're also launched. There's two things that are new under the sun. The first is um, very soon, like in, within the next 25 to probably 60 days, um, the United Way nationally and worldwide has forged a partnership with Salesforce ah, interesting. to develop something called the Philanthropy Cloud, which will appear on you know the Sirius, hopefully, and Wharton uh, and other private sector kind of entities, their employees' desktops, so that they can monitor how philanthropic their company is and also how much, how, what their philanthropic impact is throughout the year. So that, it's a really cool dashboard of kind of, and it also uses algorithms to kind of help sort and through issues that you care the most about. It's a little big brother-ish, but it's trying to help you sort of identify and hone in on the impact that you want to make, not just in the region, but beyond the region. And that's coming soon, which I think is, you know, that's sort of like, a that's really wide in mm-hmm. its reach. Yep. Um, the fastest growing segment of our impact uh, that isn't as much kind of this regranting model is our impact fund. And uh, that, that puts out on this, you know, that puts out in the community about on average, about $30 million a year, and we're hoping to raise that through an innovation fund, which is basically, in, if you're a person who, you know, I would say that for someone who's in the service sector and in the nonprofit sector, a lot of nonprofits have gotten really good at marketing and resource development and telling their story, but, and so there's, it's really hard to figure out whether or not your impact is having the intended result. Sure. And so we are putting a ton of resource into really incredible measurement of performance. So that sort of like a mutual fund, if you were to kind of look at who are the highest performing um, companies or nonprofits in early childhood education, like there's lots who can tell you a story on YouTube and it'll move you to tears and that's fine. But many people want to invest in a, in a place where they know that their dollars are, are moving the needle. And so we have a, a suite of um, impact partners that are being honed down to about 80 that are in the continuum from early childhood through to kind of, you know, after school and high school to basically college readiness to vocate to career so, so Bill, is this, and workforce development. Bill, and that's is, the just, new thing under the sun. That's very cool. A quick thing on that. When you do when you're describing these uh, these high impact uh, opportunities, are these nationwide, worldwide or regional? Just in, just in our region. Got it. Cool. Uh, we're, and we're really focused in and then the next chapter though that is really one of the things I'm passionate about is I feel like if you're if you're in the private sector and you're trying to build your own capacity, well, you can like take on debt, right? Or you can, you know, you, if you're trying to grow yep. your impact, that's what you do. You go to a bank. Here in the nonprofit sector, it's much harder to do that. And so, what one of the things of our innovation fund that we're raising capital for is we want to incentivize and reward the highest performing nonprofits 
putting them in either an accelerator if they're new to market or if they're established nonprofits, we want to build their capacity in terms of how they do what they do so they can do more of it by raising more money, by training their, you know, by growing their, um, their, their own workforce so that they can be more impactful. And so you're not just measuring and kind of, if you will, um, kind of evaluating these nonprofits, you're building their capacity. You're, you're embracing these partners that we know are doing well. And that's the other, you know, end of the continuum that's been kind of neglected, but we really need to focus in on that. If we're going to ask people to do more, we want people to do more with more. Right. Not more with less. We're talking. We're talking with Bill Golder, CEO of United Way of Greater Philadelphia and Southern New Jersey. Yeah. So, so Bill, United Way, hundred years old. When we talk to organizations that have this sort of history, whether it's Red Cross, United Way, Girl Scouts, it's a beauty and a curse, right? There's right. there's all this brand awareness, and folks know what it is, and perhaps they can you know sort of check the box on their payroll deduction with confidence going, yep, this is legit. I've, you know, I've seen it. My grandparents have seen it. I know it. I know it's for real. But there's also, you know, the downsides of is it slow? Is it stodgy? Is it, you know, not in, as innovative as some of the other things going on? So you have all of our listeners, you know, right now, do some myth busting. What are some United, you know, some things about United Way that you think are misconceptions that folks may have, um, and I should clarify, United Ways are individual 501c3s, so you're only speaking for Philadelphia yeah, and southern point. New Jersey, but perhaps some broader uh, aspects to your comments. But what are some things you think people have wrong about this huge organization? I, I think the thing that is, um, and I want to speak out of a, a, a posture of like deep honesty, which is, and I don't know if you know, if any of my board members are listening, they're going to appreciate this. But I would say that, you know, we are most akin right now to the Philadelphia airport. That's our United Way. Yeah. Right? <laughs> Which is that everybody wants, you know, basically the question is not, are we going to have an airport? It's what kind of airport are we going to have? And, and the United Way is similar. Like, I, and I'm very close, and she's a board member, the new CEO of the airport. She is so aggressively, Shelly Cameron, so aggressively aware of what they do well and also working to reform and reimagine our, uh, you know, limitations to become the best airport, you know, on the eastern seaboard. Mm-hmm. And I I feel like we have a few beacons in the United Way, which is, you know, they're the, the things we do well, which are really powerful, is if you look at philanthropy's impact in our region, we we give away we're the we give away the second most amount of money to any other. So that's a force, right? Like that's a we're a big you know tank in in the ability to sort of really do some good stuff. I just would say that do we have? I mean, we need to be streamlined. We our systems need to be totally updated. We've just hired this incredible hotshot um, vice president of tech and information systems who comes from the leanest and meanest. Uh, it's not public yet where he's coming from. But it's sort of like, it's how do you recognize that, like, there's a lot of players in the, in the change the world space that are noble in their pursuits, but their scale isn't big enough to do anything. Yeah. And our issue is 
we're certainly big enough to do something seismic. The question is, can we get out of our own way? Mm-hmm. I'm just being really candid. Like yeah, I think it's, that's, that's why I asked. Real. Yeah, and, 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 you know, the good news is this is why you were hired, Bill. You know, nobody's going to be surprised by, uh, you know, by, <laughs> by who you are and, and what you are and what you bring to the United Way, or at least nobody who's going to be surprised who hired you, because I'm sure this is, you know, this is what they saw and they were ready. You know, it's interesting, right? So if I step out of this conversation a little bit, to, you know, just uh, as an organizational psychologist and somebody who's interested in leadership succession, all of which I am, um, you know, coming into an organization that is ready for change uh, and wants change is quite different than coming into an organization that says, we're good, you know, yep. we're good, we're strong, make us stronger. And it's a, it's a different leadership. It's a different leadership challenge. Um, one of, the things, one yeah. of the things that I think has also been, you know, the, the staff team is, is just so talented and they really are motivated. And I feel like one of the things that has been a favorable part for, you know, that mitigates this kind of anxiety around change is that, you know, both in the in the communities, but also inside my own staff team is they know that I know the work. Many CEOs mm-hmm. of this organization in the past may have been effective or able administrators or yep. competent spokespeople. But frankly, I mean, this is not a slam. There's just not a lot of knowledge about poverty. Yeah. And we're here and we're here to like the mission is now first. You know, and I want to run a good organization, but it's mission I'm a mission first kind of guy. And I feel like you can withstand the change if we're always in service of the mission. Yeah. And that's that's you know, this cha- this move this pivot away from being a mile wide and an inch deep to laser focused on ending intergenerational poverty then, then you're not saying, well, I don't like it because this is the way we've always done it. It's I, I have an appetite for anything that would be in service of us being more impactful and effective in service of this mission because we need it. Right, and I want—I just want—I want to underscore that mission because I think you just, you know, ending intergenerational poverty, really a profound and incredibly important mission. Yeah. So, Bill, I, since we're since we're being candid here, just you, me, Catherine, and. 2.2 million listeners or whatever the <laughs> series has. Um, I can't help but ask, you know, United Way, mile wide, inch deep. So in my experience, certainly I get that. As you talk about a shift, some folks are going to get left out, right? Or mm, I imagine right. that's a possibility. So if you're saying mile wide, inch deep, I'm thinking, you know, $10,000 is going to each of 10,000 organizations or something like that. You're coming in with, you know, passion, a a much more focused mission around changing, inter- you know, ending intergenerational poverty. You know, how are you going to manage that? Who's, you know, who's who's getting offended? Whose feathers are ruffled by this shakeup? And um, and why do you think that that's totally worthwhile collateral damage? I just I I so appreciate this, and this is really the leadership question. You know, I feel like it is. Um, I mean, there are many. In, there, there is a, a robust and rich and powerful nonprofit uh, sector in this region. Many, and if and if they are not grantees of the United Way, that doesn't mean that they're not excellent at what they do. We are just trying to focus our agenda in a way that you know when we look at, at um, benchmark cities, the thing that's really vexing about this intergenerational poverty issue is by by science not by hunch 
we now know what interventions work. So, and, the, and so the question is, how do you rightly capitalize the interventions that we know work so that basically starting with young children, if you are not reading at grade level by fourth grade, you're, you're never going to catch up statistically. And so how do we, you know, complement what the, what the school district is doing to ensure that supports are in place uh, for these children, but then so many efforts are underway to, to make sure these children have these resources and we ignore the family system that they're in, right? If your caregiver is uh, unwell or unable to get to work or hold down a job, that chaos, that trauma is going to make it, is going to undermine all the other work we've done to try and help you read. And so this is literally like, how do you look at this holistically, systemically, and scientifically, not to say that anybody else's work isn't good. It's saying this is what we believe is going to basically turn the curve. So, Bill, we're, we're, we're coming to the end of our, of our time with you, so I'm going to push you to be extra succinct. Um, <laughs> so what are those levers? You said you know, that, that you think the United Way is probably going to focus on as you, as you, you know, uh, exert your, your leadership as you lead this organization, and you've just started. So one of them is making sure that kids are reading, uh, you know, can read at grade level by the, uh, the end of third grade. What are other important levers... Um, that, that you think the United Way ought to be focusing on? If we can move the needle on this, we'll make a difference on intergenerational poverty. Uh, one of the other things that is just so obvious in terms of lifting people out of poverty, but it's poorly capitalized is, and this is really wonky, but it's um, looking hard at how people draw down benefits that they are eligible for. Yeah. Mm, uh, interesting. Philadelphia and our region is the worst of any of the cities we've looked at in terms of availing people of and if you get people in a in a in a non-stigmatized way of financial counseling we leave so many benefits eitc and others on the table yep. that people are eligible for so that's one that i'm interested in that's the least um sizzly thing but, but it's, it's huge it's impact right hugely impactful yep. in terms of moving the needle and the last one is and this is my big this is what i'm here for this is what i care the most about is really developing a cohesive and comprehensive workforce agenda that has that creates the space for employers to sit down in a way that is non-stigmatizing, that is really real, and saying how instead of building a pipeline for employment without the employer, which seems to be the thing that we all do, <laughs> why don't we start with the employer? And I'm trying to build a virtuous armada of employers who are who know that we need to change our employment practices in a way that will help us employ you know i mean we've had historic levels of for instance of incarceration yeah and a lot of people are coming out and are we going to just say we're going to write those people off right there's right there, yeah such a strong right. predictor right such a strong strong predictor of recidivism you can't get a job it is you know dramatically increases the likelihood you're going to be rearrested it's a virtual a certainty right so the workforce agenda when you're already in 400 workplaces not all of them are going to participate but there's others who aren't involved with united way who are looking for someone to say this private sector economic engine is the one thing we know lifts people out of poverty. Yeah. It's true. So, Bill, so how do we do that? Bill, we, uh, I want to just in the last 
uh, 30 seconds or so, I want to bring you back to uh, something you said uh, when we started this discussion, and that was, what's being asked of you? That is like such a profound, no, no matter what your spirituality, I think that's a really profound question. So talk to us about how we get in touch and we answer that question. What's being asked of you? What's being asked of me? I, um, I would just, I, I, I'm a big fan of, and I'm borrowing from a book that is by the same title. There, it's this evolution that I think every person needs to go on from, and I have small children, who grow up with the one question, which is, um, what do I want to be when I grow up? Mm. Which is um, a great question and um, an important question. But the question that moves the needle on behalf of others is, what should I do with my life? Mm-hmm. How can I, and I, I use this image of a fulcrum, how can, I, um, how can I take what it is I've built in my own life that is the fulcrum and leverage that to benefit, and I use the language, bless others? And I feel like it can be so overwhelming to try and do that alone and also in boutique organizations. Mm-hmm. I believe the United Way is a platform for dramatic impact of thousands of people because our problem one by one thousands of people are being left behind. And so I'm going to try and move us away from, frankly, a bureaucratic organization into a posture of a movement. Mm. That is people who people who have experienced some success in their career, who who know that the story of their career will not only be about what they build in their own lives, but what they could build on behalf of others. Yeah. I, I, uh, I, yeah, I, right. I love this bill. And also it's so, you know, it's so interesting that you have this strong spiritual sense of how you can give, but you're also very well aware that, you know, this is good for business. If you want to, you know, that, that businesses in this region also want a community where there is not, you know, chronic, uh, chronic and unmoving poverty. So we need, we need to take a break. It's been fabulous talking with you as always. We'll be back in a moment. This is Catherine Klein on Dollars and Change. For more insight from Business Radio, please visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu. 